Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's show and episode of Make the Shift with the Legal Work. We are speaking to Marisha, who I met in New York. She's um, on the line with us, and this is going to be a really great chat. Marisha, hi. Hi, I'm so excited to be here, Tiani. Thank you for, uh, you know, introducing this podcast, and uh, I'm very excited to be part of this. Thanks, Marisha. I think I'll just give a bit of a background. So Marisha, I met Marisha um, on Instagram, actually, um, on the Cornell Tech Instagram page. So Marisha graduated from this program last year, so class of 2019, uh, at Cornell Tech, which is a master's in law technology and entrepreneurship. And now um, you're at Denton's, the world's biggest law firm, but you're not doing the traditional lawyer type of job. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to this point? Of course. So um, the way that I like to think about it is I consider myself a lawyer with the geek streak. Um, I come from a family of lawyers, so you know, no one was surprised when I decided to go to law school. But one of the things that I realized as I started practicing was that I was consistently one of those people that Every time we had a problem, every time we were in the middle of, uh, you know, I, I come from an m and practice. So every time we had a diligence or something like that, um, as a junior associate, I was always the one pushing for doing things better, doing things more innovatively, uh, use technology where possible, um, you know, mostly so that I could go home at, you know, 2 a.m. instead of 4 a.m. Um, and, and get some sleep. So I think a large portion of where I realized that I loved um, process management and innovation was that every time we had a problem, um, I would go to the partner and say, hey, we could use AI for this or, uh, you know, what, what, what if we did it this way? And as, you know, I'm sure you're familiar, the legal industry is generally one that is quite traditional. Um, and so having that background um, and having an interest and love for technology, I realized that I could mix those two um, to be more effective. And what I love doing is helping people solve problems and having an impact. And while um, doing traditional legal work was giving me some of those um, benefits, I think that once I started really embracing the process management and innovation aspect of the legal industry, um, that really started to give me a lot more satisfaction. And when um, my, my first foray into this was, uh, you know, we were, we were doing kind of a large uh, diligence project and we had about a thousand documents that the secretaries needed to print out in order to start, uh, you know, give it to the associates to start reviewing. And so, you know, they spent about two hours doing it and it was late at night and um, I found a little batch processing software and gave it to them and said, hey, why don't we try this out? And they were able to use that and go home to their families, um, you know, while the software did the printing automatically all night. So for me, when they came back the next morning and said, hey, you know what, I have no idea what the software does, but 
the fact that you found it and the fact that I could go home to my family and see them for dinner, um, as opposed to having to spend the night in the office, it, that really helped me. So, you know, thank you for doing that. Um, that to me gave me a lot more satisfaction. So that's kind of the reason that I decided to move um, from a more traditional legal practice to the role that I'm in right now. I'm a legal solutions architect at Dentons. Um, and so our team essentially works with 23 different practice groups and does innovation and process management for all of them. And you also made a big shift moving from one country to another. Can you talk about um, what that was like, uh, making that, that shift from basically, in essence, where you grew up and making the shift here uh, to, I guess, start up your career uh, again, um, kind of in the U.S.? Absolutely. So I think that, you know, I consider myself a global nomad because I've sort of been um, you know, all over the world. I have uh, worked in several different jurisdictions and I grew up in India and then decided to come to the US um, for undergrad and then again for graduate school. So I think one of the biggest shifts in that sense was that, and one of the reasons I decided to make the shift is because I very quickly realized that in India, at least, you know, maybe a year or two, three years ago, um, there was still a lack of knowledge and understanding around the expertise that I wanted to create and have. Um, so we ended up with, you know, th there just wasn't as much knowledge about technology or the ways that things could be done differently. Um, and I realized that the U.S. was far ahead in terms of leading with the change in the legal industry. There are several um, countries, you know, Europe, Africa, um, places that are very, very devoted to the legal tech world. Um, but I think that the US has definitely come out as one of the champions of implementation um, of legal technology and with large law firms um, you know, doing business. New York is, I think I read somewhere, um, New York is actually one of the largest legal markets in the world. Um, and it's also one of the most competitive. So in order to really train um, in this type of scenario and be the best at what I do, I thought that being here in this environment would be really helpful for me. So of course, making a shift is difficult because it is different from a cultural perspective. If you have not worked in a specific culture before, like the U.S., um, it can be a challenge, both in terms of communication as well as in terms of just understanding the way that business is done. Um, and also just, you know, being a woman of color, um, in an industry that has traditionally been male dominated. Um, and then beyond that, the role that I'm in is, you know, even within the law firm is one of a non-practicing lawyer. Um, so my identity is a mix between, you know, being in a minority in general, and then even within a law firm, 
um, you know, being in the minority of people that do not practice law. Um, and so one of the most interesting shifts for me um, has been that transition between being a lawyer um, and practicing law and then taking a step towards still continuing to be a lawyer and having that be part of my identity um, and then shifting to not practicing. Also, the fact that we drive innovation means that we're usually pushing up against telling people to change the way that they do something, um, break people out of habits, get them to think of new ways of doing things. Um, so there's already that level of resistance. And then on top of that, to have somebody um, you know, that's, that's different, um, tell you to do all of those things has been a really interesting transition. So I think that making the transition um, is both challenging, but also extremely rewarding because it pushes you um, to really understand what it takes to make change on a global level. That's really true. That's really true. And I guess what my one, one thing I'm curious about is um, around as you're kind of like confronting all these changes in your identity, changes in um, work environment and, and so forth, what or who did you have within your community of support? Um, or, and what was the role? Maybe I'll expand that to also include mentorship um, in kind of like making the journey from um, all these the shifts that you've kind of you know gone through in your career who has been part of your community of support as well as including or um, over, or including mentors as well how has um, that transition been supported by community absolutely I think Honestly, if it wasn't for my mentors and my community, I would not have been able to make the shift. Um, having a group of people around me um, that has included both you know, professional mentors, my direct superior, my manager, she has been an incredibly um, valuable mentor to me. Um, even in the last six months or over the last year, I met her as part of the Cornell Tech uh, Big Co program, and she gave a presentation about making changes in the industry. Um, and she's been in the industry for almost two decades now doing innovation. Um, and so having her there has been incredibly helpful for me because she was not only able to guide me when I ran into issues, um, but also uh, be able to kind of mold the, the role that I'm in and help me navigate a lot of the challenges that I'm facing um, on a daily basis. So she has created a support system where I feel safe enough to go um, and talk to her on a daily basis about the challenges that I'm facing. Um, she's extremely caring. So, you know, it was very nice to have somebody at work that is not only my boss, but also somebody that I can call if I'm sick or, um, you know, and, and just somebody that helps with the mental uh, health and support that you need in this type of environment. Um, expanding that on, you know, I have always been uh, extremely supported by my family. Um, they have raised me to be 
independent and always uh, supported my decisions to go, even if it meant, uh, you know, going 6,000 miles away from home to pursue my passion or my dreams. Um, they've always been there for me and been a support system that um, has given me advice and, and has always been there for me to lean on. Um, I've also had more formal mentors um, in terms of my career advising team um, in the Cornell Tech program. And so they were able to really question me and push me to say, you know, why are you really planning to make this shift? What is it about this role or about this type of work that excites you or, you know, ignites your passion? Um, and I think having all of that as a support system has been incredibly important. Um, the legal tech community as a whole in New York is also extremely open and um, very, very supportive to newcomers. So that was something that really helped me because when I went to my first networking event, I didn't know anybody. Um, and so having people there that were welcoming and um, really kind of created a relationship that said, hey, I've been doing this for, you know, five years now, or I'm a Cornell alum um, at a law firm, you know, doing something similar to what you are, um, and, and things like that. Having that network has really, really helped me um, overcome, I think, both some of the challenges, but also just the general fear and uncertainty that comes with making this type of leap. Because one of the things is, when you go from being a practicing attorney to any other role, um, you know, of course, not only do you, okay, you know, take a pay cut if, if that's the case or, or whatever, but you also just go into this whole new frame of being somebody that people come to not just for legal advice, which is where your expertise lies, but also for you know technology or how to solve problems and having people around me that were always a phone call away to say, hey, I'm stuck with this. I don't know how to approach this issue or even more generally to say, hey, I really want to get in touch with this person, but I have no idea how to do that. Having somebody that I was able to talk to to say, okay, you know, here are the five ways that you can get in touch. Here's how to write to them. Um, things like that has been extremely important for me. And I don't think I would have made it, um, you know, in, in the role that I'm in right now without my mentors. That's really great. And I think in the conversation that we had last week uh, with one of the other ladies uh, that we featured on the podcast, she also spoke about just the importance of her network, her personal network, as well as the really good um, relationship that she has. And she also has a female boss. So um, it's really nice to be able to kind of see that pattern um, emerging. And in terms of, well, this is really a question for me. Now you are advising me here in live <laughs> online as someone that, you know, um, it has whose expectations or ambitions have really been reframed because of the current uh, situation that we're living in. Uh, for those listening in from the far, far future, this is the time of coronavirus. We are at day 9,148. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, um, and, you know, just kind of like being hit by this curveball that no one was expecting. Uh, for me, it's, you know, been that huge shift of, 
when I was thinking of like how I'd be planning my career and looking for opportunities, I figured that this would be the semester of like, you know, heavy networking, uh, going out, you know, meeting people and so forth. But, you know, now with these limitations, a lot of that is um, not possible, as well as kind of the opportunities that a person was excited about. Some of those opportunities have been frozen uh, by companies or companies have, you know, been freezing hiring mm -hmm. and so forth. So, and so some, for some people, it might be that they are the people that have been let go from their jobs. What right. advice would you say, um, or just like what would you, how can you help a person who's in that um, frame of mind where, you know, you're just feeling like, what now? So Marisha, what now? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if it, one of the things that I've realized about this entire experience is that it definitely reframes priorities because what ends up happening is, you know, long-term goals um, that we focused on suddenly have now shifted to simple survival and, you know, going into um, a scenario that of course is absolutely unprecedented. What I would advise um, or, you know, what, what I would do in this type of situation is one of the strange positives of this situation is that people are hungry for human connection. Um, because of social distancing and everything else, we have now gotten to, into a stage where, you know, there are no events where people network or things like that. But that also means that people are still looking to be able to expand their own network. Um, so that's one. And the second thing is, because we're all in quarantine, um, most of us don't have that much to do right now, which is actually an excellent time to reach out to people because what else are they doing? You know, if you reach out to somebody on LinkedIn, um, they're much more likely, for example, to respond because they have more time on their hands or they're looking for opportunities to be able to connect. So two things that I would definitely recommend right now um, is one, people are much more open to kind of cold connection making because we don't have that same kind of structured networking events or things like that. Um, so there is an opportunity to reach out to people that normally you would not have the opportunity to, um, to do so. The second thing is that this is a great time to be able to push your skills forward. So anything that you can do to improve your skills within even something as simple as, you know, taking a course in Excel or, um, you know, depending on, on what specific uh, skills you are looking to build up, now is a great time to be able to polish those skills up and, and make yourself, differentiate yourself as somebody who not only um, survived in quarantine, but actually thrived to, you know, use uh, a cliche, um, having, having the ability to put those two together and continuing to push um, the traditional methods of networking, of course, are no longer uh, something that we can do. But there are still a lot of uh, events, organizations that are having virtual events, um, and a lot of the same 
tips that we use for networking in person still apply. Just last week, um, I spoke to somebody that I met at the Inspire Legal uh, conference, and we hadn't talked in a couple of months, but you know, he reached out and said, hey, um, you know, hope you're doing all right in quarantine. Would you have 15 minutes to do a coffee? And so we, you know, got on to Zoom together and just talked for about, you know, 15, 20 minutes and realized that we actually had a lot in common in terms of what we do professionally and what we can offer each other. Um, and we're now, you know, building a relationship. So that's an example of the fact that if you reach out to somebody right now, even just to say, hey, I hope you're doing okay during this unprecedented time, um, it gives you the opportunity to spark a conversation. So there is still no substitute, I think, um, for having a strong personal network. That is definitely how you know I got the position that I'm in right now. Um, it's the way that I keep in touch with people across the industry and um, hopefully the way that, you know, I continue to provide a support system um, for, you know, people like you and, and those that are, are, you know, looking to come into the industry and, and things like that. So my, you know, essentially my advice is you know, six months from now, um, hopefully we will be in a better place. But this time that we have is unprecedented in the way that it has opened up a need for human connection and a need for um, building new connections and opportunities that has not been available before. So anything that you can do right now to up your skills, um, differentiate yourself and show that you are somebody that can take adversity um, and adapt in the best way possible is definitely something that uh, I would recommend doing. A couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article called um, Creating a Culture of Innovation. And you've spoken mm -hmm. so highly about your law firm and the fact that they are, you know, they've created a position like yours and, um, and the department that you're that you and your boss work in and your boss is really cool. It was really nice to meet her when you guys came to class. Uh, but you know, someone who's maybe coming from or who runs or owns their own small practice mm -hmm. might be like, oh, but that's Denton's. They have 10,000, you know, lawyers worldwide and all these offices and so on and so forth. And they just feel like, well, you know, I don't have the capacity or maybe they feel like I don't need all of that because of my size. What would you right. say are like, some steps that you can take to embrace innovation at whatever stage and size of your business. Absolutely. So, I mean, if it makes, you know, the people that have, uh, you know, that, that are not the size of Denton's, if it makes you feel any better, um, we are two people for uh, 2000 plus uh, employees in the U S so <laughs> you don't need, um, a large innovation team to have an impact. Uh, but also, I think one of the things that I found is that people generally jump to technology first. And one of the best pieces of advice that I've received is that it's the order should be people, process, and then technology. So no matter what your size is, I would say, you know, take take a moment, take an, uh, you know, half an hour um, to really think about 
the things on a daily basis that make you want to hit your head against the wall? You know, what is something that you do every day that, that just frustrates you and says, oh, there has to be a better way to do this. Those are all spaces where you can innovate and innovation does not have to be led with technology. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that you know, oh, I don't have access to the fancy AI and, you know, the no-code platforms and the e-signature platforms and all of that's too expensive, so I can't be innovative. That is completely untrue. Um, I think innovation is driven by being able to improve processes and to be able to think of creative solutions to existing problems. So um, what I would definitely recommend is taking that time to really think about, you know, maybe even just one or two things in your daily practice that frustrate you um, or that you wish you could do better. So for example, um, reaching out to clients, you know, that's something that I'm sure firms of all sizes um, do on a daily, if not weekly basis. Um, is there a better way for you to do that than the way that you're doing it right now? Is there a way for you to be able to provide a more personal touch than simply, um, you know, a, a mass email, for example? And this time right now, one of the opportunities that it's provided is that people are a lot more open to responding um, on a more personal level. Like I've seen, you know, I'm sure this is true for you as well. Um, I've seen the living rooms of more of my team than I've ever done before. Um, you know, I know more about their personal life because I've heard a baby screaming in the background. So um, I think that that provides a really interesting opportunity. So I would definitely look at um, processes or things that you do on a daily basis that frustrate you, um, repetitive processes. You know, if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, it's likely that you could automate that and look at the tools that you have. It doesn't have to be, you know, some fancy um, type of tool. I have found Excel, Word, uh, you know, simple things like that, OneNote, they are all tools that are extremely powerful for whatever you need to do. We actually were able to save a client uh, probably about $40,000 because we managed to find a feature in Excel that worked for a specific requirement that they had. So it's not only about um, you know, having sort of the big teams and the big tools and the large volume. I think there's a lot to be said for existing tools. And I think... The other thing that I would mention is if you have, you know, team members who are constantly thinking of ways to do things better um, and metrics that you can put together to measure your performance, that often has a big impact. So, for example, if you're able to go in and say, OK, this week, my goal is to reach out to five more clients and then you say, all right. I have Outlook templates that I, that, you know, so there's no cost because I already have access to this technology. All I need to do is, you know, Google how to use it and then set up a template. Um, I'm going to reach out to 10 more clients than I did last week and monitor my progress in Excel so that I can create a trend line. 
um, suddenly, you know, three or four weeks in, you will have reached out to a hundred more clients and you'll be able to see that data and see that progress. So one of my favorite phrases, I guess, that I use pretty much on a daily basis is data kills denial. Um, I read that in a great book called Finish, which if you haven't read, I would highly recommend. But um, the idea that data kills denial is really powerful because if you are struggling to innovate or create some kind of technological solution, more often than not, um, it's something that can be fixed either through fixing the human aspect of the process or using existing technology that you already have access to. So um, I think that that is definitely what I would recommend everybody to look at. Yeah, that is super lo-fi and literally anyone, anywhere can do any of those, um, any of the things that you've like laid out because those are things like, I mean, I was running a legal consulting firm prior to coming here and um, I absolutely love that phrase, data kills denial, as a, where, where if we had like implemented, you know, measurable key points along the way, we would be able to, um, you know, see the progress or lack thereof around some of the assumptions that you make about the type of clients that you have, or like even how people perceive your business. Like there was a point where we were positioning ourselves as a mining company, but we're in reality working with a lot of small businesses and then we're like, wait, we say we're a mining company, but like 60 to 70% of our income is coming from small businesses that are not in the mining industry. So clearly there's like a disconnect between how we perceive ourselves and how clients perceive us. So being able to then, you know, focus resources in that way. But if we were doing it in a process-driven way, we would have been able to pick that up much quicker and make that shift and like, you know, um, save on right, money. and and it's something. It's something as simple as you know. A couple of days ago, we were working on um, a client pitch, and so the client said, "Hey, um, you know, I'd like to know how much 120 documents to review would cost. Uh, you know, 30 documents and 500." And the way that we were currently working on it was through kind of doing it in a more manual way. And I put together a little calculator in Excel, which is, you know, not anything fancy. It was literally just formulas in Excel um, and, the, and sent it to the client. And they were able to plug in their document count and see in a real time basis what it would cost um, to have our firm review it. So and what was most interesting about that is that when I showed those numbers to the partner, he said, wait a minute, this is actually a very accurate estimate i was just going to do some you know back of the envelope type calculations based on my experience and based on kind of you know my gut feeling um but this is something that is far more accurate and so something as simple as that it made the difference with the client to feel more comfortable to understand our assumptions and i think one of the major battles that i think the legal industry as a whole is facing is that there is kind of a lack of transparency around pricing and um, you know hours of work involved and things like that because we don't generally uh, record the data of what it actually takes. We may think that something takes you know half an hour when in reality it takes an hour and a half, but we don't know that because we're not collecting that data. So I think that, and and I think that there's a lot around kind of 
fancy data visualization and you know tools that can do that and all of that but the truth is that most of the time you know that's that's a rocket ship to mars we're still dealing with scooters as far as you know i'm concerned so i would i would highly encourage everyone to find what their scooter is and you know build a scooter as opposed to trying to build a rocket ship to mars in the first try I totally agree. And please do not be surprised if people reach out to you um, <laughs> asking you to please hook them up with that calculator and that Excel formula because, um, yeah, that is something that would give people a lot of comfort. Um, so where can people keep up with you so that they can come back and ask you all of these questions? So I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty active on social media, as you know, Tiani, um, you know, you can always find me on Instagram. I am also, um, you know, available on LinkedIn. Like I, I'm usually pretty good about messaging, um, you know, back and forth. Um, I'm in the process of setting up a medium uh, profile to kind of start putting some of my thoughts down as I've become more experienced over the last year. Um, but for now, I think, you know, LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. Great. Uh, when you start writing for Medium, we would love to co-publish some of your stuff on our blog as well. Absolutely. But in the meantime, we're going to close off with a rapid fire round. Um, All right, let's do just it. Just a couple of questions. Someone said our questions are hard, but you'll let me know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is one thing you would like to change about the legal industry? Oh, uh, so many things. Uh, okay, the the term lawyer and non-lawyer, I want it dead. Okay, what should the term be then? Uh, it should be it should be you know professionals. Uh, any anything anything that is equal, um, something that doesn't you know show this kind of inequality between people who have a law degree and don't. So uh, allied professionals, you know, and anything, anything like that. I just think the whole concept of people having to define themselves by being lawyers or non-lawyers is ridiculous in the industry that we live in now. Okay. Okay. I mean, I thought you'd meet like practicing lawyer and non-practicing lawyer. <laughs> that to me, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like it's all lawyer, like whether I'm practicing now or... I've practiced, you know, or you're practicing, like I've written. Right. Exams, but I think, I think work. that there is, there's so much more space now for um, people from different expertise, including technology, you know, business strategy, um, all of that, that really need to start working together in order to keep the legal industry alive. So I think True. that having a distinction between um, you know, people who are trained in law and trained in other things um, just doesn't make sense anymore. I agree with that. I, to I, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, I was looking at some of the roles as a job searching person. And I mean, a lot of the roles around like policy and even research that you traditionally think people are looking for lawyers for. Nope, they're looking for um, data scientists to do that work now. So, um, yeah, things are changing. Um, okay. What is your uh, go-to power outfit? <laughs> um, I have I have this one suit that I wear all the time. It is a um, it's kind of like a dark purple eggplant type of color. 
Um, for anyone that looks at me on LinkedIn, that's the one that I'm wearing in my profile picture. Um, you know, pencil skirts, heels, and that suit. So it's it's always a suit. You know, our suits are our suit of armor. Yes. Um, and our job is to protect the client. So that is, that is definitely my suit of armor. So when you see Marisha in that suit, you better stay off away if your story um, <laughs> is shady. <laughs> Um, what is your biggest email pet peeve? What is the one thing that just grinds you about people's email etiquette? Oh, when, when people, when people send, um, a trail that is about like, you know, 20 or 40 emails long, and then they just say, FYI, see below. And it's like, you, what, what do you want me to do with this? Like, I, I don't have time to look through the entire thing and understand it. Can you just give me like a one line summary of the action item, you know, involved? And then on exactly. the other hand, the people that write like six paragraphs of introduction before they get to, you know, what you actually need to do. Um, so I think that those are, those are definitely like my top two. Uh, and then complete the sentence. I can't stop spending money on. Oh, um, kitchen equipment. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm a huge, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge cook uh, and like somebody that hopefully someday wants to be a professional chef. So, you know, kitchen equipment is definitely my, my go-to spending thing. That and shoes. Okay. Okay. I love this. Well, I did not know this about you. That's so interesting. <laughs> Um, and what's your most used emoji? Oh, um, it's probably, it's probably the, the, the fire emoji. I think, I think right now it's the fire emoji. So, um, it's between, between that and the, uh, the shrug, like, you know, the girl in the blue shirt that yeah. shrugs, um, it's, it's between those two. <laughs> um, and at the top of your, your playlist is? Lizzo. Um, okay. <laughs> you have a specific um, yeah, song? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's usually between, um, between, you know, Truth Hurts and uh, Good As Hell. I think it just okay. depends on my mood. Um, but she's definitely like my, you know, wake up in the morning um, power music right now. Uh, and lastly, um, living through a pandemic has taught me it is very important to always be prepared and the things that you take for granted may not be the same tomorrow. <laughs> that is true. That is very, very, very true. That is true. Yeah. Um, just like that really grounding and that's like an awesome, awesome way to, to close off. Marisha, thank you so much for your time today, for your knowledge, for your wisdom, for just dropping all those pearls on us, getting us, you know, um, pandemic prepared in the sense of, okay, like how do we upscale? How do we get ready for, um, you know, the next, the next six months? And how do you want to, you know, present yourself in the world at that point? And then also um, thinking of, you know, how to initiate innovation regardless of your size. So that has been um, a really, really awesome way to, to learn and to just spend this time with you. Uh, it's really such a privilege and thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for putting this together, Tiani. I really appreciate it. And I'm always available to, you know, answer questions and 
um, hopefully provide some direction in this mad, mad world. So um, thank you so much. Sure. Thank you all so much for joining us for this week's episode of Make the Shift with the Legal Work. We look forward to hearing from you and we would absolutely love your feedback on this episode. You can hit us up on email at editor at thelegalwork.com or make sure that you're following us on LinkedIn. Reach out to us there or on our Instagram, all under The Legal Work. In addition, please make sure that you are subscribed to the blog and make sure that you register to receive the weekly newsletter where we discuss all things that pertain to work, lifestyle, and journey. Make sure that if you enjoy this, you send this to your friends and your colleagues, everyone that you stand around the water cooler with so that you guys can discuss this and send those discussions back to us. Also, if there's anyone that you think would be absolutely incredible or whose work, life and journey you admire in the legal industry, let us know. We would love to know them too. And maybe you might hear them on this podcast. Thank you so much and we wish you an amazing week.